Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at North Kentucky University. With me today is political and policy analyst Kristen Matheny. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing okay today. Actually, how about you? I'm okay. It's a beautiful Saturday here in South Florida. Yeah. Lots of sun. Lots of rain. You yeah, know. That, that sounds. That sounds like Florida. Florida weather. Typical. I guess. So. Yeah. I, I'm actually kind of excited for today because. We're doing something uh, a little bit different, and I'm, I'm curious to see how it's gonna it's gonna work out. So, uh, basically, to let everyone know what, what we're planning here, what we're trying here, a little experiment is, uh, you know, we you get a sense of the ideology of all of our hosts, I think, just through what we say. But we thought it might be interesting and maybe kind of fun to give you more of an explicit sense of where we're coming from ideologically. And, and there are a lot of tests and quizzes and things like that out there. In fact, a, a while back for longtime listeners, Jay and I took a, some kind of an ideology quiz and posted the results. But, you know, when Kristen and I were talking earlier in the week, we thought it'd be kind of fun just both to kind of give folks a better sense of, of her ideology and just as a kind of a neat experiment to actually take one of these quizzes live, and I actually found a, a really reputable one from the Pew Center, and they, it's their political typology quiz. And uh, so what we thought we would do is both take it and kind of go right along, and you can follow along with us as we do it. The uh, URL is uh, people-press.org slash quiz slash political-typology, or if you don't want to type all that in, and I sure wouldn't, you could just probably type in Pew Research Center political typology quiz into Google or what have you, and that'll pull it up as I'm sure the first uh, the first result. So that's what we're going to do, and I think it should be a lot of fun. I, I, I imagine you agree, Kristen. Of course, I agree. I you know I have to be honest. I I haven't taken one of these in a really long time, and I used to take and and I used to tell people to take the world's smallest political quiz. Do you remember that? Yeah, with I the, do actually. With the grid. Uh -huh, yeah, I, uh -huh. I always I always favored that one, and that's the only one that ever had results that I remembered, I think, because I took it so many times and my results actually changed over time, which is typical, I yeah. think. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited. And and just for the record, I have not even looked at this quiz because I figured that would make for better podcast. Totally fresh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. I have no idea what's on this quiz. So I'm I'm not nervous. I'm excited um, yeah. to see how much I've really changed. Now, but before we get to that, there's a, there was a listener question for a while back that was directed specifically to Kristen. And just because we don't always do listener question shows when we're out, when we're doing the show together, it's been a while. And we, we really wanted to get to this because we didn't, we didn't forget about you. Uh, we didn't forget about you, uh, Martins, but we wanted to get to your question. I think it's a great one too. So uh, Kristen, if you're ready for Martin's question. Sure. I am okay. ready. Here we go. Martin wrote in, I was surprised that Kristen said she'd vote for Trump again. I wonder if she could let me know 
on what measure she sees Trump as a successful president and worth voting for again. I have a particularly dim view of most politicians, but Trump seems to me to be an abject failure. You have a written constitution, even if Trump is attempting to drive a horse and coaches through it at the moment. So I struggle to understand how Christian believes that a second term for Trump is a good thing for America and the rest of the world. All right. Well, there we go. Kristen, what do you think? <laughs> well, this is a question I've I've actually had to answer a lot. I think anytime, you know, in, in this particular realm of politics in this moment that we're living in, um, we are so polarized. And so I have a lot of friends um, and, you know, co-workers and, and people that I've worked with on the left um, who I, you know, have a lot of respect for. And I believe that they have a lot of respect for me. And they've just point blank asked me, why are you doing this for the exact same reasons? I, they have a, they also have a dim view. And I have to concur. I also, like Martin, have a dim view of most politicians. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that I'm a bit jaded. Um, I've worked in this in this environment for a long time. Um, I've worked with a lot of politicians who have ended up really letting me down on a personal level. I think they've let a lot of their constituents down. Politicians make a lot of promises that they don't keep. And I, you know, so so I I I completely understand where he's coming from in that sense. Um, but I think the best answer I can give um, and I don't know that it'll be I'll try to get more specific once I give this more general answer is that um, I don't think that people fit neatly into boxes when it comes to political ideology. For example, um, you know, like most people, I don't love labels. And so when I'm called out for being the Republican in the room or the conservative in the room, I don't know that that's everything. I don't know that it, that I that I like hanging that label around my neck. And I think, you know, I, I like to say that sometimes I feel like I'm sitting in kind of a Republican box, but maybe I have my hand in a conservative box and another hand in the libertarian box. And, you know, I, I my opinions run the gamut. And I think Donald Trump is is much the same. And I've made no secret of the fact that I don't agree with everything he said and done. Uh, I probably disagree more with a lot of the things he said than a lot of the things he's done. Um, and, you know, I'll put it out there and say that when the when the nomination, you know, when we were choosing somebody to run for the Republican presidential candidate in 2016, he was my absolute last choice which I think it's it's funny because yeah. I say that to people and they're shocked by it. But I don't think it's very shocking. He was my last choice. I supported a, several other candidates before I supported him. And then, you know, when it came down to basically him, Ted Cruz and John Kasich, um, I thought, geez, I had supported none of these guys up until this point. But when it became Donald Trump, I decided to support Donald Trump. And I will again. And the reason is this, um, when I look at the alternative, and I know that for some people, this won't be a sufficient answer, and I'll, I will get more specific, like I said, but when I look at the alternative, I see a dimmer view than I see with four more years of Donald Trump. And that's according to the way that I view politics in my worldview. Um, there are things that Donald Trump does not do well, and there are things that he's failed on about. Um, I think his Twitter persona is entertaining and childish. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, he's I think that he has in many ways failed to build the wall that he promised. And that was kind of a cornerstone of his 2016 campaign. I think in many ways he's failed to do that. I think Congress has had a lot to do with that, too. But I think, you know, this is something he promised and he did deliver. Um, but, you know, there there are many other things I, I don't love about Donald Trump. But I do think that he is a better option from from somebody with my political beliefs. Um, I think that 
um, I would object more to a president who wants to deliver a new Green Deal. I would object more to a president that um, declares um, sort of unfettered amnesty for illegal immigrants. Um, and, and these are things that are that are core to, to my to my values and my beliefs as a person. Um, so I think that when it comes to, you know, going to the to the booth in in, you know, coming up here in 2020, I will probably cast my vote for Donald Trump. I mean, unless somebody comes along with a similar worldview and similar ideal, something closer to my own, I will cast my vote for Donald Trump. Um, I love the way that he's handled a lot of um, uh, I love the way that he's handled a lot of um, issues like, for example, with Syria. I love the way he handled uh, the conflict in Syria. Um, and I think he is I think he's taking down globalists, which is something that's, you know, core to my you know, political beliefs. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess that's about as specific as I can get. Yeah. But um, I don't like the alternatives. I definitely don't like the alternatives on the left. And unless somebody comes along who's more of like a Rand Paul type, I just I don't see myself voting for somebody other than Donald Trump. Yeah. And of course, you'll be casting your vote in a state that actually where you're casting your vote really matters. So, uh, it's, yeah, uh, you yeah. Know, uh, to that extent. But, you know, I, in, in listening to your answers, it, it made me Think back to 2016, and I faced a, a similar, a sort of a similar situation. I, Hillary Clinton wasn't my last choice, sure, for sure, yeah. but I wasn't crazy about her for a number of reasons. And I actually, before Trump was the nominee, I actually you know, looked at the cast of thousands that the Republicans were running. And, and for a minute there, I thought, well, could I maybe vote for John Kasich over Hillary Clinton? And I considered that because I had some serious reservations about Clinton. But in the end, I came to the sort of the same conclusion that you did, is that, you know, even the best, what I considered the best of the Republicans was a worse alternative than really any of the Democrats, essentially. And mm -hmm. so I get where you're coming from there. I think Trump is more of an extreme case. But, yeah, I uh, do too. I know, do too. He, that's that's pretty typical for Trump, I would suppose. So. I do too. Yeah, yeah, and I and I have to. I just have to add because um, it just popped into my head, and I don't know why I forgot to mention it. But you know, the there was a rallying cry on the right um to think about the things like the Supreme Court and stacking the courts with constitutionalist judges, and that was actually a big motivating factor for me in voting sure. for Donald Trump. You know, in those moments where I waffled in the very beginning, um, that was sort of what stuck in my head because, you know, we had, you know, we, we had uh, a couple of Supreme Court nominee uh, nominations coming up. I knew it. Um, and I had a lot of friends who were who were right teetering on the line. And that was kind of the conversation I had with them. And I didn't approach it. A lot of my Republican friends approached it from, well, you have to vote this way. I didn't approach it that way because I didn't see it that way. You don't have to vote for anybody. But, you know, given given the choice and given the options before you, I couldn't help yeah. but think of my own children. And, you know, I thought, well, you know, what what type of a what type of a Supreme Court do I want to to kind of continue on for a while? Do I want something that's stacked with, you know, activist judges or do I want something that's a bit closer to the Constitution, yeah. which is closer to my belief system? So I had to add that in because it's important. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah. you know, you make a good point that you don't necessarily have to vote for president. I mean, my uh, my mom no? was a very strong Republican, really struggled with uh, the choices. And I, I believe she ended up not voting for anyone for president and voted, you know, uh, down ticket, but just said, you know, I can't in good conscience 
vote for either of these folks. And I don't think that was too atypical necessarily. You know? No, no. I know multiple people who on both sides who yeah. felt that way. And I, I get it. I do. I get it. I didn't I didn't do it myself, but I do understand why they did that. Absolutely. Well, OK, Martin, we hope that answers your question. And now, uh, Kristen, if you're ready, we can uh, turn to the Pew Research Center political typology quiz, figure Hooray! out where you and I stand. All, All right. right. Let's get on with it. Well, well here we go. <laughs> OK, uh, I'll get this started off. OK. OK. Question one. Which of the following statements comes closest to your view? Number one, the government should do more to help needy Americans, even if it means going deeper into debt or option two. The government today can't afford to do much more to help the needy. Kristen, what do you think? I, I have to say what we were discussing about binary questions. Yeah. This is so difficult because I think we're going to probably fall in the middle. No, and I think uh, that, no, that, that, that's a great point to start with. A lot of these quizzes mm-hmm. basically force a choice and they kind of finesse it by saying, well, which is closer, essentially. And, and that, that is a problem. I think especially folks who've had, you know, some kind of uh, social science background would say, well, can you give me like a seven point scale yeah. or something <laughs> like that? But not really how that works. And I, I, I struggle with the same thing, though. Uh, i tell you what, though, while you're thinking about your answer, I'm going to say the government should absolutely do more to help needy Americans, even if it means going deeper into debt. And here's why I think that. Number one, interest rates are super low, and I see this actually as an investment in, if you want to talk about it from an economist type of standpoint, an investment in human capital. So I think in, in helping people, freeing them up to get uh, more of an education, to get housing so they can go out and become part of the workforce, that's just, that's just the smart investment, I think, investing in our people, our, our greatest resource. And not only that, of course, I think it's the right thing to do from a humanitarian standpoint. So. This one to me is an easy one. No question. That first option. What do you think? <laughs> I'm actually going to go with the second option. Okay, I'll <laughs> which come. is the Tell government. Yeah. Um, okay. So the government today can't afford to do much more to help the needy. I think that we are deep, deep, deep in debt as it is. Um, I don't see us coming out of debt or at least closer to debt relief anytime soon. I think we owe a lot of money to foreign governments. Um, you know, I'm thinking about future generations. I'm thinking about, um, you know, debt um, being compounded on top of more debt. And the possibility of that really scares me. So um, as much as I want to say, I think that there are causes and things that that we can fund um, in in the investment in human capital is important. I do want to get that out of the way. I'm not, you know, a cold hearted person, um, I would say. So in the end, I mean, my, my response to that would be, well, we can cut defense spending or something like that, but yeah. that is not, not, not yeah. you're not going to, okay, you're not going to go with that. All right. Well, let's, no. <laughs> well, why don't we, why don't we go ahead and move on to the second question and why don't you, uh, just, uh, I think all of them actually are, which comes closest to your view so we can kind of yeah. dispense with that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, it's rough. Okay. It's good that, that they gave that disclaimer. Okay. So the next set of statements is statement one, which is government is almost always wasteful and inefficient. And statement two is government often does a better job than people give it credit for. Oh, another easy one. I like <laughs> this. This is this is good. This is good. It's this it's no rough. question. It's number two. Government that government does so many things so well we don't talk about them and the media doesn't cover them because it's, you know, the dog that didn't bite sort of thing. But absolutely there I mean 
There's no question that government does some things inefficiently and wastefully and that the private sector should be doing certain things because it does it better. The market does it better. But on the whole, I think I think government is greatly underappreciated and it definitely does a better job than people, especially on the right. Sorry, Kristen, give it credit for (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to take the more skeptical approach here, Mike. Surprise, surprise. I'm going to say the first statement is more accurate. Government is almost always wasteful and inefficient. And again, it's not. And you it's think closer. Um, you think almost always? I mean, that is kind of, you don't uh, think that's extreme? No, I mean, I I think that there's some merit to, to what you said in the reverse, which is that I think there are some situations where the government does an incredible job of, um, you know, do, doing th- it does a better job than people want to give it credit for, even people like me uh, on the right. But I do think that there is an abundant amount of waste and inefficiency in government. I think you have a lot of um, bloated cabinet roles. I think you have a lot of government agencies with these big budgets that seem to do nothing. The Department of Veterans Affairs is the one that comes to mind every time, um, you know, and I, I, I mean, I could kind of go on and on. But I, okay. I do I think it's always true? No. But, you know, this is closest to your view. There you go. That's right. Okay. I guess. (laughs) All right. Moving on. Question three. Okay. The first option, the best way to ensure peace is through military strength or good diplomacy is the best way to ensure peace. So hard. You know, this is the first one that's hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I'm going to, I'm going to let you answer first because I need to think about this one for a little bit. Oh my gosh. This is, yeah, I really, maybe I should have looked at these before. Um, (laughs) Military strength or good diplomacy? Boy, so they, important. I, <laughs> I got to say, you know what? And and this may be surprising. I think I'm leaning to the first option. Actually, a, a, a little Me bit. Too. It's a, it's a close one because I think diplomacy is important, but without without the potential to use force behind it, it just right in. Today, I'm kind of a foreign policy realist, and I think in today's world, without that potential, it just diplomacy on its own isn't going to get you there. And so I really think that's not, and I guess I would maybe, I don't know if this is okay, I'm going to reconceptualize the question or the options a little bit, and if it's cheating, I don't care. (laughs) So uh, I'll, I'll say that not through the actual use of military strength necessarily, but at least through having it in the toolkit, because if you don't have it there... I think you're in a world of hurt. So that that's going to be my answer. I'm going to go yeah. with uh, peace through strength. I, I I actually agree for the exact same reason. I think there's definitely opportunity for diplomacy, especially before you get to the point where you may have to threaten to use or use military force. I mean, what's going on right now in the Middle East, I think, is a really good example of yeah. that, how we can how these two things can work together. But without that sort of promise of superior firepower behind you, you really don't. There's a lot of bark and no bite. Yeah. You know, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't like saying this is an absolute, but it's not an absolute. So no. I, I guess I don't feel too terrible about it. All right. Well, so the first one we military. agree on. Okay, yeah. cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you ready for the next one? I am. Okay. So the next one is, whew, this is tough too. Racial discrimination is the main reason why many black people can't get ahead these days. And the other statement is blacks who can't get ahead in this country are mostly responsible for their own condition. Uh, those binary choices. Yeah. Oh, this uh, is tough. For me, this isn't a difficult one because I, I believe that while we have made great strides in um, lessening racial discrimination, 
I think uh, there's still plenty of it around. And I also think that just the, the after effects from a long from centuries of racial discrimination still have a, an enormous effect in minority communities. And so to me, this is a pretty easy one. Yes, racial discrimination is the main reason why many black people can't get ahead these days. Yeah, um, I'm actually going to agree with you, believe it or not. Ah, we agree okay. on two of them. And, and I'll and I'll tell you that this one, I actually I was I think I'm I think I'm probably in the middle leaning more towards this. Um, and so as much as I think that people are responsible for I'm a big believer in, you know, you make your own destiny. Sure. And, you know, I think that it is impossible for people. And, and I wouldn't necessarily just say black. And again, I'll change the question. I would say that it's more of um, a sort of a socioeconomic thing. And I think there are a lot of people in um, communities across the country who are who can't quite get out of um, sort of the I guess I guess their their own communities and they can't get a leg up because of things like discrimination. So, I mean, I would even broaden the question and okay. say that it prevents them from getting ahead. But cool. um, yeah. All right. Yeah, I would Let's agree. See. Let's see what we have here next. All right. Uh, question five. Uh, the first option. I think this is going to be an easy one for you. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> option one, government regulation of business is necessary to protect the public interest or government regulation of business usually does more harm than good. Oh, B. Option two. Option two. <laughs> I, I read that one. I was like, this is going to be the yeah. easiest one so far for Kristen. Uh, it's an easy one for me, too, in the other direction, though. I, I feel that, uh, you know, that there are a, a million little regulations that have been in, put in place throughout history that have been incredibly important in ensuring that workplaces are safe and workers are treated correctly and not only that but also to to account for externalities like so that for instance uh chemical manufacturers can't dump pollutants in waterways which used to be you know a, a non-trivial problem and so uh, there certainly have been cases and are cases of regulatory overreach it happens all the time and i think new regulations need to be looked at carefully and it's always good to review existing regulations but on the whole I think government regulation of business is absolutely necessary. Also, I think it's government regulation oftentimes that actually helps markets work more effectively by ensuring transparency and to a certain extent, an amount of competition to make sure that we don't get monopolies and other things. So I think government regulation is absolutely essential, not just in general, but just to have a well-functioning market economy. I I think that that sometimes is the case, especially and we've talked about this before on the show where um, you're putting into play things like worker safety, um, you know, opening up markets and stuff like that. I, I think sometimes regulation is a good thing. Oh, I'm like biting my tongue as I say that because it just doesn't sound right. No, I understand. Out of my mouth, it's but be it's, rough, yeah. I, I think that I, but you know, I think anybody who's ever studied this stuff, like you said, understands um, that when it comes to public policy, there's everything is a, is shades of gray. Sure. And I think this is one of those things. But generally speaking, I kind of, I kind of bristle when it comes to government regulation because I see it as a power play. I think you know, a lot of times you um, you destroy um, a market um, or an economy like for uh, the the big example that keeps coming to mind is what was happening in New York state. And, you know, if, obviously I'm, I'm in Florida and, you know, we got a lot of there was a huge shift of population from places like New York and California, where there was a lot of business regulation to, to states like mine, Florida. 
Texas, Arizona that were friendlier, you know, just had a friendlier climate in terms of regulation. So I think generally speaking, the best way for governments to operate is to cut the red tape and um, allow for more flexibility when it comes to business. But I do get that there are times when the government does need to step in and regulate. So, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Here we go. Next uh, question six. I think this is over to you. Yes. Okay. Um, Homosexuality should be accepted by society and homosexuality should be discouraged by society. I'll just say easy peasy. Homosexuality should be accepted by Uh, society. I'm a big supporter. Yep. That's, that's pretty, that to me, that's the most straightforward choice we've, we've had so far. And to me, even at the binary choice, I'm okay with, because I I mean, there's no exception here for me. (laughs) I mean, and I understand that there are some religious conservatives who would make other arguments. In fact, you know, I heard a, I was listening to a, a really fascinating podcast. Uh, Ezra Klein was talking to Rod Dreher, who's a, who's a religious conservative, and he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a column in the American conservative in that. And, and he was making this alternate case. And I think he probably makes the most compelling case for that. But still, I wasn't even close to convinced. And if Rod can't convince me, I'm pretty sure nobody can. So, yeah, this one, I think we can just go ahead and move right along as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Yeah, no All question. Right. Okay. Question seven. Option A is business corporations make too much profit or option B, most corporations make a fair and reasonable amount of profit. <laughs> this, this qu- now, these statements are phrased completely differently. If you notice, business corporations make too much profit is super general. And then most business corporations make a fair and reasonable amount of profit. Yeah. That's a little more specific. I'm going to go with option two because I think it's closer to what I believe. Yeah, you know, I, I do believe in the exception once in a while. <laughs> yeah, this is a hard one for me, too. I, I, I would say that to me, it's problematic in cases of uh, monopolies, duopolies, that sort of thing. And so there are some instances where I think there right. are problems. But for the most part, when I think about just the broad expanse of corporations, I, I this isn't that difficult of a question for me to answer either. And I agree with you. I think most corporations do make a fair and reasonable amount of profit, though there are some exceptions. So I'm with you on that one. Wow, we agree again. Yeah, again. All right. All right. Moving on. Okay. Stricter environmental laws and regulations cost too many jobs and hurt the economy or stricter environmental laws and regulations are worth the cost. B, B, option B, no question. Option, option A, B. Option <laughs> Existential threat, climate change. I'm totally, I, I believe, I believe that the long-term costs, not just, well, I believe that there are a lot of long-term costs of environmental, of climate change and they're not just economic, but they relate to, well, you know, sort of uh, making large swaths of the planet uh, potentially uninhabitable for human beings and human suffering and all that. So to me, this is this is I mean, again, you can go too far and there needs to be a balance that's struck. Certainly, I mean, I wouldn't be in favor of, say, a 200 percent carbon tax or something like that. And I think mm-hmm. that elements of the Green New Deal go way further then I'd be comfortable because you need that economic activity and growth to be able to deal with a lot of these problems. But I think we're not doing nearly enough. And I'd like to see significantly stricter environmental laws and regulations for that reason. So that that's my rationale. What's what's yours? 
I think I feel the same way about the opposite. I think that um, there are certain times when, you know, we do have to consider the long-term effects that, you know, business and, and manufacturing things have on the environment and the toll they take. I mean, obviously, you know, I, as a parent, I look around and I, I say, gee, I want this place to be just as beautiful and, and, you know, even probably even more beautiful when my kids and grandkids roam the earth. But um, I think generally speaking, I've just heard of too many examples of times where, you know, these t- toughened regulations start to cut into local economies and you hear about, you know, the, the, the struggles of families who are coping with the after effects. So I'd say, again, I think there are lots of exceptions, but I would say that probably the first is closer to what right. I believe. Yeah. Okay. I, I figured, I figured so. Um, yeah. I'm so predictable, I guess. <laughs> so, so, uh, am I up next or are you? I forget now. I've I think, lost I her. think, um, oh boy, you, you, I think okay, it's you. Okay. You go okay. ahead. All right. Uh, here we go. <laughs> uh, our two options here on question nine. First option, immigrants today strengthen our country because of their hard work and talents or option B immigrants today are a burden on our country because they take our jobs, housing, and health care. Oh, boy. Another easy one for me. I think that I am very much pro-immigration. I am not. I am not open borders, and I am probably to the right of a lot of the Democratic presidential candidates on this issue. But I think that, uh, and I, I, there are two issues here. There's legal and illegal immigration. Mm -hmm. I think we should absolutely reform our asylum system. And I think that, uh, but, but I think in general, we can support a lot more legal immigration. And I think it's a good thing for the economy. It's a good thing for our country in a lot of reasons. So yes, I believe that, Im- that immigrants today do strengthen our country because of their hard work and talents. And uh, I don't think they take our jobs, housing and health care. Uh, the data I've seen, it says on balance, immigration is a net economic positive, And I think it's a positive in a lot of other ways too. So for me, this is an easy one. Option A. Oh, unlike you, this is not an easy one for me because I, uh, I struggle because I live in a community with a lot of immigrants and, um, you know, and, and I, and I come from immigrants not too many years ago. And I think that, um, I think I'm going to go with option two, which kind of pains me a little bit because I do think that there are a lot of people and a lot of immigrants that really do strengthen our country um, because of their hard work and talents. And I think they, you know, they add and I, you know, I don't deny that we are a country that came from, you know, Im- roots sure. of, of immigrants coming from Europe and elsewhere. Um, and, and I and I'm a big I'm a fan of diversity. I think diversity is something that we need more of. However, um, I'm going to go with option two because I think it's be- that the problems become out of control. You know, when you have hundreds of thousands of immigrants um, crossing into our borders illegally, I think it does produce an unnecessary financial strain on our country. And I just I can't get over that hiccup um, okay. that the system needs to be reformed. I might change my mind if we can reform that system. I'll put that out there. But I'm going right. to go with option two. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Number 10. Um, okay. Poor people have, uh, poor people today have it easy because they can get government benefits without doing anything in return. Or poor people have had, uh, have hard lives because government benefits don't go far enough to help them live decently. Another easy one for me. It is, it is rough being poor in America. It's much harder than it is being poor in, uh, I think, almost any other rich, developed country in the world. So to me, this is a pretty straightforward one. It, uh, poor people do have hard lives. I think we need to significantly expand the social safety. Now, this gets back to something in one of the earlier questions, I think, 
it's I, I you can see it as a humanitarian thing, which I do is just kind of in, in moral mm-hmm. kind of sense. But I also think that the argument can be made that it's, again, an investment in human capital. There are so many people who I think could contribute so much to the, the vibrancy and strength of the American economy if they weren't constantly worried about medical bills or where they're going to be living or how they're going to feed their kids and so forth. And so to me, this is a no-brainer. It's not just the right thing to do, but I think it's a good economic uh, investment. So it's uh, option two for me, for sure. This is another, t- these are proving to be very tough for me. Um, this one's really tough because I I do agree with you. I, the, the statement, poor people have it easy, I think is really problematic for yeah. me because I don't think poor people have it easy. I appreciate the struggle um, that they go through and, and I appreciate the fact that it can be really difficult to get government benefits um, in the first place, you know, let alone live off of those benefits. Um, so that's statement makes things really problematic and I'm really waffling. Um, but then the last part of the statement, government, but you know, there's government benefits without doing anything in return versus government benefits don't go far enough to help them live decently. I think that makes a difference for me. And yeah. I think I'm going to have to go with the first because I do think that there are a lot of people that abuse the system. And I think it's just kind of plunged us deeper in debt. And I think, although that first part of the statement is really problematic, I'm, I'm going to go with the first option. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, let's see here. Okay. Question 11. Okay, option one, the economic system in this country unfairly favors powerful interests, or option two, the economic system in this country is generally fair to most Americans. I will try not to laugh as I answer. Yeah. I, I couldn't do it. Option one, no question. I think crony capitalism is a huge problem. And there's actually, this is one of these issues where I think there's, you know, this odd uh, agreement between many on the left and some, in fact, on the right. I, I think there's no question that the deck is stacked in favor of powerful interests in our system. So to me, simple, easy peasy answer. Yes, absolutely. And I, yeah. And I'm a member on the right who agrees with you. I think the economic system, I think the deck is stacked and I think it unfavors the, it unfairly favors the powerful interests in both government and in, you know, in terms of finances. So yeah, I'm I'm going to agree with you. All right. No question. Yeah. Cool. Okay. We're already on 12. Yeah. Okay. Um, our country has made the changes needed to give blacks equal rights with whites, and our country needs to continue making changes to give blacks equal rights with whites. This is okay. Now, I, yeah. my, there's my initial, there's my initial inclination, but then I'm, I'm, this kind of reminds me of the question you mentioned a few things back. I mean, the issue I have with this is I get what the question is asking, but I think the the wording is messed up. I totally, totally you know? agree. Um, yeah. Because I, I, as I mentioned before, I still think there's plenty of uh, systemic discrimination and that's a huge problem. Uh, and so I don't look at it in terms of rights so mm-hmm. much as that I look in terms of equal treatment. And I think that's kind of, what the question is getting at. And so I'm going to assume that's what the question is getting at. Like, for instance, when I think about how much more likely uh, a a young black man is to be shot by the police than a young white man, or I look at the prison population based on race and those sort of things. And that's not exactly rights because the law applies to say, I mean, there's, there's very little de jure discrimination in the law, right? But there's a lot of 
de facto discrimination and racism. And I think that's what the question is really asking about. And so I'm going to assume that. And so I'm going to say, yes, we need to continue to make changes uh, uh, along those lines so that we don't have a situation where, you know, it's a, it's just a dangerous thing to be driving while black or to be a young black man walking after dark and that sort of thing. So yeah, option two for me. Yeah. And this, this question really, uh, speaks to me because um this is this is has a lot to do with what i did my grad school capstone on yeah, which is right. this unfair discrimination and uh you know algorithms and policing and things like that or you know uh, implicit bias and whatnot so um and i studied it i studied all of this actually in um, birmingham alabama which is you know sort of the epicenter for for this whole discussion but um you know i i think i i also have a lot of problems with the particularly with the word rights and I'm taking that very literally. And it's mentioned in both statements. As much as I agree with you, and I would like to think that what they mean is that I, I think maybe if they answered, yeah. asked the question or issued the statement to continue making changes and left it at that, I think I would agree with you. But the fact that we're talking about rights, I, I'm going to go with the first. No, I, I get it. And I, for I the get same it. I mean, reason. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I, I think if the word had been treatment, it might have yes. been. but. Yeah. But, but OK. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's hard to change, it's hard to change hearts and minds. You know, it's a lot easier to wave a pencil. So. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. OK. Am I next? I think <laughs> you're next. Yeah. OK. Um, OK. It's best for the future of our country to be active in world affairs or we should pay less attention to problems overseas and concentrate on problems here at home. Oh, I think it's super important for us to be active in world affairs. I think we have an obligation uh, and I think we've, you know, largely. Uh, with certainly more than a few hiccups, have exercised that obligation, uh, you know, since really since uh, World War II. Someone's got to do it. I think it's us. And I think when we don't do it, bad things happen. There are these power vacuums that inevitably will be filled by less democratic actors, by people, by, by sorry, by, by states that I think are oftentimes less responsible, though certainly, my gosh, we've made our more than our share of huge mistakes, but on balance, yeah, I think we need to be active in world affairs. Yeah, this one is tough because I think again, I, I, I sound like such a uh, you know a broken record. This no, is no, tough. no, this is tough, but this is. is so tough because I I get both sides. You know, I tend to be a little more hawkish than a libertarian, but maybe a little more libertarian than Republican. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to go with the second response. I think there are a lot of issues here at home that we need to focus on as much as I see an active role in world affairs as something that, you know, that needs to continue. I, I do think that there are a lot of issues here at home that we're ignoring. So I'm going to go with the second. All right. <laughs> yeah. Let's see here. Question 14. OK, um, the first option here is most people who want to get ahead can make it if they're willing to work hard or. Hard work and determination are no guarantee of success for most people. I'm going to go with the first one. No surprise, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, maybe what's going to be surprising is I'm going to go with it, too. And maybe it's yeah. because of the phrasing. But yep. I think yep. for the majority of folks, that's, I mean, it depends on what you mean by get ahead. And certainly for, for millions of people, that's not true. But that word most. So if it, yep. if it had been everyone can get ahead if they're willing to work hard, I would say no, not at all. But most people, I think for the majority, and by most, I'm reading it as, you know, a, a reasonably sizable majority. And yeah, I think probably on balance, there are maybe 
70% or so, maybe even 80% of the country that that applies to. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm deeply concerned about that other 20% for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, I think for the most part, that is, that is true. And I, I may get some flack for that one. No, I, I agree with you for all of the same reasons. I don't even need to elaborate. Okay. But, um, but I, and I agree that there are people who, you know, don't fall into this category, but that word most, I mean, they certainly, the Pew Research Center knew what they were doing when they put yeah. these statements together. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So the next one, um, okay, the obstacles that once made it harder for women than men to get ahead are now largely gone. Um, and there are still significant obstacles that make it harder for women to get ahead than men. Again, largely, oh, largely gone. Yeah. Super easy for me. Um, that no, no question to, in my mind that there are still significant obstacles that make it harder for women to get ahead. So, I mean, we could talk about, you know, the lack of paid maternity leave. We could talk about sexual harassment in the workplace and all kinds of other things. But yeah, to me, that there's no question that it's, I mean, I think for a million reasons, more than that, maybe it's so much easier to be a man than a woman, other things being equal. Uh, but I still think we can go a lot further to change that. that the question doesn't even ask about that. I mean, the, yeah. the idea that there aren't, that, that it's not harder to be a woman in modern American society than it is to be a man, I, I just find that laughable. So, yeah, yeah. to me, that's no question. I, I, I'm actually going to go with statement one, but I'll, you know, explain it by saying that I agree with you. And and as a woman who's worked in a lot of male dominated environments, I, I do think it is harder and I have experienced discrimination that, you know, I, I'm not quiet about. Um, but how oh, that word largely makes the difference for me, because I think about I think about it, I guess, a little more holistically um, where we were versus where we are now. Do I think sure. there's still work to be done? Yes. But I think that a lot of the legwork has been done. Um, but again, I think it's, um, you know, I, I struggle with things like, you know, giving women rights. It's sort of like that question we had or the statement we had a couple statements ago, like giving people rights versus, you know, just sort of um, dealing with the cultural, I guess, the the cultural thoughts about women or the cultural thoughts about minorities. You know, c- discrimination and rights are two different things. So I'm going to go with the first. Yeah, I, you know, I agree with you to the extent that. If you look at, say, the world of Mad Men or even really the world of the 80s or 90s, we're Mm -hmm. in a lot better position in so many ways. But but I think that there's still so much more to be done on so many levels that I I, I have to go with the second option. So, yeah, I get it. All right. Okay. You're up. Okay. Um, foreign policy. In foreign policy, the U.S. should take into account the interests of its allies, even if it means making compromises with them. And in foreign policy, the U.S. should follow its own national interests, even when its allies strongly disagree. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think certainly we can never discard our own interests. That would be crazy. But I also think that the way it's phrased, we should absolutely take into account yeah. the interests of allies. And sometimes, I mean, making international agreements, having a functioning international system, whether it's on trade or arms control agreements or anything, is all about making compromises. And so I don't see how you can have a, a, a well-functioning, peaceful international system without everyone involved willing to give up at least a little bit. And certainly, we can argue over how much is too much to give up. But the idea that we wouldn't make 
compromises for the sake of the larger peace and prosperity of the international system is, as I think, just completely wrongheaded. So to me, no question, the first option. I'm I'm actually going to disagree and choose the second option. Okay. Not that I don't see the merits of the first. I do. I think um, you know these strategic alliances either because of strategy or because you know we're just morally vested in a relationship. Like for example, a relationship with Great Britain or Israel or you know sort of these longtime allies. I you know I think they're. I think they're worth keeping and and worth working towards. Um, But, you know, in terms of America first policy, I think I fall in the America first. you know, I just I don't know if we should compromise our own interests when it comes to sacrificing um, or, or, um, you know, dealing with our allies, I guess I should say. So I'm going to go with a second. And and, and I see your point. I think probably our our disagreement on this, like on so many other things, is one of kind of degree more than anything else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's see the final question. Oh, uh, okay. Well, that's actually a, uh, it's not a question question, but it's sort of a, a, I said demographic thing. It says in politics today, do you consider yourself a Republican, Democrat or independent? Easy for me. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. Yep. And then apparently we have to agree to the data privacy terms with the oh whole boy. yeah you know I, i'm gonna trust the pew center on this yeah Kristen, so i guess otherwise our, our podcast would be over so yeah so uh here we go what does it say Ooh. well it says that i am no surprise a solid liberal along with 16 percent of the public that was my result what about you I got uh your best fit is core conservatives along with 13 percent of the wow. public and it turns out there are actually this is on a continuum of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine categories. It goes mm-hmm. from solid liberals, which is the furthest left, which is where I ended up. Uh, then it's opportunities, Democrats, disaffected Democrats, something called devout and diverse new era enterprisers, <laughs> which I think is where Trey said he found ended yeah. up. Um, yeah. Market skeptic Republicans, country first conservatives, and then you, Kristen, core conservatives, and then mm-hmm. finally bystanders. So. According to this, you and I are about as far apart as it's possible to be on this. Funny because so, I don't feel like that's the case with a lot of things. It's semantics, but you know. Well, yeah, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's the case because yeah. I feel that both you and I are, are politically moderate. Certainly. Yeah. But but again, it goes. There are plenty of people who have answered the questions the same way you and I did, but their answers just would have been not. Uh, well, that's a tough one, but hell yeah, you know, that sort yeah. of thing and a lot more. Yeah. Really. So, the uh, trouble with these binary statements is, yeah, with, you know, you kind of have now. to put yourself in a box one way or the other. And Absolutely. Stuff. But I got to say, <laughs> I enjoyed putting myself in this box with you for yeah. today's show. It's a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, so it was great. It was a nice little uh, departure from the normal. So yeah, definitely. You. So listeners, idea. yeah, let us know what you thought. I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. This little kind of change of change of pace, that sort of thing. And uh as always, you know, uh, we'd love to hear from you, not just about this necessarily, but about anything, really. And, of course, you can get in touch with us by mailing us at mail at politicsguys.com. There's our Facebook page, facebook.com slash politicsguys page. And we are on Twitter at politicsguys. And, hey, if you want to support the show, that would be awesome. We would appreciate it to do that and to find out about all the cool stuff you can get if you support the show. Go to patreon.com slash politics, guys. Also, if you could subscribe to the show and leave reviews on wherever you listen to it, on your app or what have you, that would be great, too. We would really appreciate it. The executive producers of the Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Benji Fishman, and Andra Masker. Today's show was produced by...
Christian Mazzini and Michael Bernersky. I had to think about who was producing the show. My gosh, it's more coffee today I need. I don't know. Anyway, we'll be back with a new show on Saturday. We hope you'll join us.